Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. As I've said a thousand times, God, if I didn't have your word, I would have nothing to talk about up here. I know lots of people that have opinions about spiritual things. I'm not interested in most of them. What I'm interested in, God, and I think these dear people are as well, is in what Jesus and the apostles and the writers of your word inspired by your spirit have said down through the the ages. And so, God, help us to understand it rightly. Our job will be to apply it diligently to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've said this to you before, but it always marvels me when I talk about this, that, that Christians, have you noticed, have a language all their own, right? Some people call it Christianese, kind of like Japanese, Chinese, Christianese. And I noticed it 37, 38 years ago when I first became a Christian, I heard people talk like this. They called each other brother and sister. And then they talked about the small group that they were in. And then they referred to the pastor's talks as sermons. And then they responded responded to something that they liked with praise the Lord and and then they thanked God for the blood and and then they sang songs that were either called hymns or choruses and I'd been listening to the radio for years and never heard songs called that. Christians have a language all their own and lest we ever get down on them for it, this language comes because we follow the Bible and the Bible talks about many uh, of these things here that have become a language of our own. And once you hang around Christians for a while, you'll pick up the lingo as I have and start to speak fluent Christianese over time. And we're going to add another word today to our list of words that are primarily used by Christians, or at least in the way Christians use this word before us, and it's the word fruit. It's the word fruit. Now, our world and culture uses the word fruit to describe what? Fruit like oranges and pears and lemons and things like that. But if you noticed, Christians use this word fruit, now watch this, to describe some sort of result or action that proceeds from the Christian life. And the reason that you and I should both be interested in this word fruit, at least as the way Christians use it, is because it was first coined by Jesus himself as he was describing what he wants his followers to have in their lives or to look like. In other words, out of the 60 plus times that this word fruit appears in the New Testament, Jesus uses it four-fifths of the time in his teaching. He takes up the bulk of the uses of fruit in his teaching. So it's an important word for us to understand. So we're in a series here. We're capping it off today, a short three-week series on how to get close to God. We've been in just 11 verses of John 15 as Jesus guides us in it. And let's read some of the verses in which Jesus talks about this thing called fruit. And let's understand it as richly as we can. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear, here it is, fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then verse eight, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there you have it. 
three times in three different verses, that's a pattern, Jesus uses this word fruit. Now watch this. Once, literally, the way that our culture would use it to describe just fruit on a tree or a vine, but then twice he uses it figuratively to describe something about the Christian life. And you might remember from week one of this series that we said there's going to be three themes that Jesus gives us that builds one upon another, a progression on how to have closeness with God. We said in week one that it's all about, we said in week one it's all about abiding and you need to learn to abide in Jesus, stay connected with him. And then in week two, we noted that when you do, he's going to prune or snip at your life to make you a better follower of himself. And then what we're gonna see today is, is that then this fruit thing appears in your life. And when you add all this together, gang, it really works you're gonna to start to feel closer to God in your spiritual life, abiding, pruning, and fruit bearing. So once we get this progression, the question becomes, how does this fruit bearing thing work? I mean, how does fruit appear in our lives? What exactly does it look like? What's the purpose of all of this? You and I should be very interested in the answers to these questions because Jesus loved this word fruit. It's really amazing what he did with it. It was the Greek word karpos back then, which is the Greek word for fruit. The Greeks used it as well as the Romans did to describe, as we've already established, just fruit. Very few people back then used it figuratively. And then Jesus hijacks this word and uses it to describe something very important that he wants to see in the lives of his followers. So what is all of this about? Three things I want to share with you in our time remaining today. Three things that Jesus himself teaches us in the passage I just read for you about fruit and following him. And the very, very first thing that he reveals to us could arguably be the most important. I'm not sure that it is, but it's the starting place. And it's one that many, many Christians misunderstand. And that is that this fruit that Jesus is talking about is God's fruit in us, the result of staying connected to Jesus. This is important, you get this. It's God's fruit that he's talking about here, the result that happens in our lives as we stay connected with him. So look with me at how Jesus very plainly and clearly says this to us. Look at verse four again. He says, abide in me and I in you, here it is, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Now let's run with this very simple agricultural metaphor that Jesus gives us here of a branch bearing fruit but can't do so of itself unless it stays connected to the vine or the trunk. You know, if I was back in the Midwest preaching this message here and I asked how many people have a tree in their yard, how many people would raise their hand? Just about everybody. Even if I said, you have a fruit-bearing tree, a lot of people would raise their hand. But this is the desert. But I know that some of you, I've noticed, have fruit trees in your yard. They might yield a lemon or an orange or a grapefruit. So let's see a hand raise, cactus, chaplain, venue, all of us together. How many of you have a fruit tree in your yard? Raise your hand. Wow. 
Quite a few of you do. I don't. Uh, quite a few of you do. Now, let's picture that fruit tree, all of you, that's in somebody's yard. And here's what I want you to try to picture. Imagine if I walked to one of the most fruitful branches in your fruit tree that had maybe a, a three or four oranges or grapefruits on them, and I broke that branch off. And then I took the fruit on it and I swept the fruit away so we have just a, a plain branch there. And then I walked about six feet over from the tree and I just poked that branch into the ground and started watering it. What would happen over time? I'll give you the answer, nothing. Because we all know you're not going to break a branch off of a tree, poke it in the ground, water it, and hope that it will still bear fruit, right? That's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us here. That just as a branch can only bear fruit if it stays connected to the vine, and watch this, the branch can take no credit for that fruit because the branch itself can't bear fruit. The vine or the trunk is the one giving the nourishment, adding the stability, causing the nutrients to go through that branch and produce the fruit. Our Christian life, he's saying, is no different. That the only reason you will see fruit, and we're gonna define it here in a minute, in your life is if you stay close to Jesus and he will produce fruit through you. And the reason this is so important, gang, is because I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians talk about the accomplishments in their Christian life, and I just hardly hear them give credit to where credit is due. I hear people say, you know, God's really blessed me, and I'm so generous with the money that he's given me. You know, my marriage is in trouble, and I went to counseling, and I got that thing in order. And we talk like we did something, and maybe God gave us a little bit of help, but basically, it's so American, we took the bull by the horns and kind of, you know, just did our thing. And look what a great Christian we are. Nothing could be further from the truth. God says the only way you're ever gonna have spiritual results in your life is if somehow he does it in and through you and your only job is to stay close to him. I'm telling you, this is the best thing you're ever gonna hear in church, that if you wanna see God work in your life, then just get close to him. Like a guy trying to warm himself from the fire, the only way you're gonna get warm is to stay close to the flame. And that's exactly what Jesus says to you. Now, once we understand this, and only once we understand this, are we ready to move on to the second thing that Jesus tells us here about this idea of fruit bearing? And as I told you before, that the first thing, you know, was a lot of things that Christians misunderstand. I warn you that this second thing that Jesus tells us, a lot of Christians bicker about and argue about. I know it's hard to picture Christians bickering and arguing about things, but just go with me with this. And it confounds me as to why, but we'll explain the dilemma as we go along and hopefully add some clarity to this. But this is the second thing Jesus teaches us, and that is that when fruit is evident in your life, it reveals that you are his follower. That when fruit is evident in our lives, it reveals that we are his followers. Just look how Jesus says this to us. He says in verse eight, my father is glorified by this, 
that you bear much fruit. Now, he already told us that it's actually him bearing fruit through us, but it is fruit that we see in our lives, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And believe it or not, this little phrase that I put there in yellow, prove to be my disciples, has caused a tremendous amount of consternation among Christians over 2,000 years. And the issues surround, what does it mean to prove that we are followers of Jesus? Who are we proving it to? And what's involved in proving? And I'll just clue you into the main debate that Christians bicker about, and, and it has to do with which proves that we are more his followers, our faith and belief in him, or the fruit that results in our lives. And you're going, really, really, they argue about that? I, I could fill you, I, books on this. Is it faith and belief that gives us the proof that we're followers of Jesus to God, ourselves, and those around us? Or is it the evident fruit that comes from our lives that proves we are followers? And I love how some of you think, because you're thinking right now, well, Jesus kind of just said here that it's fruit, and also, could it be that it's both, and that is the correct answer, but then it brings up the question, how do those two relate, which is more important, and, and again, I mean, books and volumes have been written about this debate, and I'm going to try to settle it here today by explaining to you something that the Bible shares with us that is so simple, but I think really solves the issue, and it all centers around the issue of that it matters who you're trying to prove your Christianity too. In other words, the Bible gives us different directions, a different pattern if we're trying to prove to our neighbor that we really know Jesus versus if we're trying to prove to God that we really know him. Let me show you what I mean. I put this little chart together here for you. You should write this down. Chisel it in stone because this will be a good friend to you for the rest of your life because here's what the Bible says and I'll show you where it says this in a minute and that is that when it comes to proving to God that you are his, just between you and him, he says he's mostly concerned or at least initially concerned with your belief and faith. Do you trust him? Do you believe in Jesus for eternal life? Because that's the gospel. And then fruit acts as a secondary assurance, kind of an added punch that you are really his and that he's working in your life. So with God, it goes from belief to fruit. Now, watch this. With your neighbor, however, they don't give a hoot that you say that you're a follower of Jesus, do they? Your coworkers don't care about that. They hear lots of talk in this world. What they care about is can they see anything demonstrable that's of a changed life in you, and then they're interested in where that might come from. So what I need you to see is the pattern's reversed with other people. And you're saying, man, this sounds really good. Is this in the Bible? Yeah, it is. So let's look at this real quick. With God, it's clearly belief to fruit. Look at what 1 John 5 says. This is the quintessential passage that settles the issue. It says, the one who believes in the name of the Son of God has the testimony in himself. You're saying, what testimony? Verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son, Jesus. So pause right there. That's the gospel. The reformers said it this way, faith alone in Christ alone. 
That is the grounds of our justification before God. That's what brings us to him, that Jesus died on a wooden cross for our sins as our substitute, our atoning sacrifice. And when you place your faith in him, that by the way, even God gives you that faith. When you place your faith and trust in him, now you are his. And so it only makes sense what then verse 13 says. It says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know or prove that you have eternal life. So there you got it. Right there it tells us that between you and God and only you and he can know, when it comes to you wanting to know if you're really saved, if you're really his, if you want to prove it between you and him, it begins with this idea of belief. And then fruit, which we're going to define in a minute, acts as kind of a secondary source of, of assurance to us. That's Jesus' point in John 15, that if you never see any fruit in your life, what are you to do? You're to ask yourself, do you really believe? Again, I'm not trying to be hard on you. This is Jesus who says that. Jesus says that if you're a branch saying that you believe and there's nothing on that branch to show for, your, for you saying that you believe, he just might break it off and throw it into the brush fire. That's your meek, mild, gentle savior, Jesus, saying that. And, and, and the point is simply this, that fruit is important, but fruit for the Christian between you and God is always a, 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 a follow-up to the belief that you have because it's faith that saves you, not fruit. Does that make sense? Give me a head nod. I, I, I don't see why that's not clear to most of us. And so uh, now look how it works with other people, however. Uh, with other people... And your neighbor, your friends, your coworkers, your kids, your wife or husband, they actually do the reverse pattern. You're saying, where's that in the Bible? Well, let's go two chapters before John 15. Jesus said this, this, by this, all men and women and children will know that you are my disciples if you give a really good verbal testimony to the gospel. No. He says, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love, which is we're going to see is a fruit for one another. When Jesus was trying to, tell, or trying to teach us how to, um, to, to smell spiritual phoniness in our midst, like he did with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, look at what he said in Matthew 7. He says, so then you will know them, these spiritual phonies, by their, say this word with me. One more time. Fruits. So, so there it is right there. Then when it comes to your neighbors, we've already established they really don't care what you say. God does because he knows your heart. He knows your intentions. He knows what's going on inside of you. Your neighbor can't see that. The only thing they can see is what's coming out of your soul and your life, what they see or feel from you. And that's what the Bible calls fruits. And so with your neighbor, it's the reverse order than with God. And guys, this is an extremely important distinction here. I think this really settles the issue. Is fruit important? Absolutely. It's important in your relationship with God as a backup source, if you will, to your faith and belief to show that your faith and belief is real. Is it important to those around you? Absolutely, because without it, they will have no idea whether what you say really matters. I can remember one of the very first times I experienced this. I was a brand new Christian in college. And, and, you know, as a new Christian, I was so on fire for the Lord. I was so excited about my walk with him. But as you can imagine, as a young 18-year-old man, I was also very erratic and inconsistent. 
struggling with a lot of the things that young men struggle with in my Christian walk. And though I gave up a few initial things when I first got saved, like booze and women and all the other things like that, those were kind of no-brainers because the Bible's pretty clear on that, I struggled with some of the more uh, gritty things of the Christian life. Anger, patience, um, you know, my language, things like that. Things that some of you are still struggling with after 40 years for crying out loud. But I was struggling with those as a young man. In fact, I remember one day I, uh, I, I, I was in my dorm room and I received a, a letter from my girlfriend from high school. It wasn't Kim at that time. This was BK before Kim. And uh, everything changed after Kim. And uh, so this was a gal I was dating from high school. And naturally so, you know, uh, she ran back to my hometown and she broke up with me. And here I am reading the Bible every day and praying, and I was so mad about that, I took my tennis racket. It was wood. Do you guys remember those days? A wooden tennis racket. And I just smashed it against the dorm uh, room wall. And my, my, my roommate comes back later, and he's not a believer. You know, Chip was his name, and, and Chip sees my tennis racket. He goes, what happened to your tennis racket? And, and, I, and I confessed to him what I did, and I could just see his mind turning of like, you know, you, you, you say you're this, but you're doing that. A couple months later, I was uh, having dinner with a guy from my fraternity named Phil. Phil wasn't a believer either. There were very few believers around me when I first became a Christian. And, uh, and, and I just, I've always been authentic. And I just said to him, I said, you know, I got to be a terrible witness to you guys. I mean, here you guys are, you know, uh, you know, just doing your thing. And I'm telling you about Jesus and all this. And yet I live such an erratic life. It must be hard for you. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, well... We all do know you're not perfect. <laughs> we all know what you are and all that. But he said, I got to tell you, I, I saw you when you first got here. I saw you after you became a Christian. And I see a marked difference in your life. And he said, it makes me wonder if this God thing is really real. I said, what kind of difference do you see in me? He said, well, you used to booze it up and now you don't. <laughs> You used to chase women, now you don't. He says, you know, you talk about your language, but man, you used to curse like a sailor, and now you don't. Those are just the outward things he saw. And he said, I see things different in your heart. You're more gentle, you're more tender, you're more humble. See, I didn't even know that people saw these things. And here's what I knew, that between me and God, I knew that I was his. My faith and the atonement of Jesus told me that. I did worry about what others were seeing, and, and it confirmed to me Phil's statement that this idea of fruit mattered most to him, and only then was he interested in what I might believe. You live in a world today, this should be so, such good news to every one of you here in Cactus and Chapel and Venue, good news to you, that between you and God, man, you got the trump cards. It's your faith he's most concerned about, and then fruit is going to give you that added boost of, of, of assurance. But never, ever forget that with your neighbor, your friends, your coworker, even your kids or your parents, man, what they need to see more than anything else is that big grapefruit, orange or lemon, hanging off the branch of your life, saying that I'm Jesus's. Now, once we understand that, once we get that it's God's fruit, not ours, that this fruit proves that we are his follower, the only other question that we need to answer in the 16 minutes we have left, and we're going to see a video uh, here in a few minutes to help us with this, the only other question we have to answer is really the elephant in the room, and that is what exactly is this fruit that we have been talking about? 
And I warn you, there is a lot of, not debate, but this is again where a lot of Christians tend to be rather shallow in my opinion because the fruit they talk about is just some of the outward stuff that we can see. They don't go deep enough to really understand the fruit that God wants to bear in your life. And though the Bible talks about all different kinds of fruit, I mean, like there's literally hundreds, if not thousands of passages that tell us about the kind of fruit God wants to do in our lives and see in our lives. Let me just wrap up today by sharing with you three buckets, if you will, that come simply from following the word fruit. Remember that Greek word karpos? I did it this week. Just follow the string of all the occurrences of the word fruit through the New Testament. I'll just sort of do a spoiler alert right now. There's 66 occurrences of the word fruit in the New Testament in 56 verses. I looked at every one of them this week, and I discovered that there's three wonderful categories or buckets that fruit falls within. I call this what you and I should look for in our lives. That if you want to know as a secondary form of assurance based on your belief that you are his, if you want to show your neighbor, friends, coworkers, service providers, family members that you are his, these are the things that will do it. And that is increasing spiritual thirst, outward moral behaviors, and internal relational traits. I simply followed all the occurrences of fruit, and these are the things that the verses fall into, the sort of buckets, if you will, uh, of what we need to be looking for in our lives. So first, consider this idea of increasing spiritual thirst. Now look at how the word fruit is used in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, through him, meaning Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So let me ask you the awkward question right now. Is there continually fruit on your lips that are all about praise to God and acknowledging his name? And you're saying, what do you mean? Well, let's just take your day right now. When you get up tomorrow and you go do your thing, whether it's a business person or an educator or the medical profession or a stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever it is that you do, or student, as you go throughout your day, are there going to be times, continuous times, you ready for this, where you think of God? where you know that you're saved and you're his and called and set apart and that somehow you're different from the world and the things around you. Is there an awareness that the Holy Spirit lives in you so that you're constantly on the edge of your lips wanting to give praise to him and acknowledging his name? And for those of you saying, yeah, 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 that's me, even in the midst of all your inconsistencies and struggles and doubts, man, if that's welling up in you, this is what my mentor Larry Crabb calls spiritual thirst, that you have tasted some of God. You've had a salvation experience with him. You've heard some great sermons like this one. You've been in church. You've been with other Christians. You've sang songs. You've had moments with him in quiet time in the Bible. You've had answered prayer. And when you add all that up together, you know what your soul says? You're gonna like this. More, more, God. I've tasted the goodness of the Lord and I want more. If that's in you, be encouraged today, Christian. That's a fruit right there. It's King David in Psalm 42.1 when he says, as the deer gets thirsty for streams of water, I am truly thirsty for you, my God. 
Man, if you have spiritual thirst in you, I'm telling you right now, that is a sign. It's a symbol. It's a reality that he is operating in your life. Because the converse of this, and I deal with this all the time, how many times have you talked to somebody in culture, say at work, or you know, I'll be on an airplane this afternoon and pity the person that sits next to me because they'll say to me, and I love it when they do this, what do you do? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> because I'm a minister. I, I said this to one guy recently on an airplane, it was hilarious, it was last summer, and I said I'm a minister, you can just see the veil go up, and I, it was like perfect timing. Right then the stewardess gets on and goes, we have an imbalance on the plane, does anybody want to move? She raises her hand right away. <laughs> See, I, and I'll say to people, as a, as, a, as a segue into it, I'll just say, hey, are you interested in the things of God? And, and, and I don't always get a yes. In fact, many times I don't because they're not thirsty. I hope someday they might be, but they're not. And it's a sign that there's not much really going on there spiritually right now in their lives. I don't judge that. I have been there. I spent the first 18 years of my life like that. But now that I know him, one of the signs that I know him is that, man, I'm thirsty every day for more of him. If that's you, be encouraged today. That's fruit right there. Now, here's the second category of fruit that following the word karpos, fruit, tells us about. And this is what most people think of when they think of fruit, and that is outward moral behaviors. So look with me at how this is said. In Matthew 3, 8, John the Baptist is speaking. He says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This passage confuses a lot of people. What is he trying to say there? It ain't complicated. He's just saying that when you're walking down the road and you realize that there is something in your life as a follower of God that is not consistent with his word, the Bible calls that sin, that you're to then repent of that and bear fruit through your repentance of the things that you know that are in your life that are not of God. And we all have these. We all have areas of life that we're struggling with, even as Christians. And here's what it's simply saying. Every time you overcome one of them with God's help, you know what God says? There's that lemon. There's that orange. There's that grapefruit. That's a nice piece of ripened fruit that you now have on your branch. So every time we overcome an addiction with God's help, uh, every time you learn to tell the truth with God's help, every time you remain sexually pure with God's help, every time you're generous uh, with your finances with God's help, need I go on and on, every time you even engage in social justice because God cares about the justice issues of this world with his help, he says as you do those things in the power of the spirit by staying close to the vine, those are the fruit that he will bear in your life. And conversely, I'm not here to be too hard on you guys, but every time that you ignore <laughs> those things in your life and say, well, I'm just tired, I'm not gonna fight anymore, I'm not gonna do it anymore, you're not gonna have fruit there. And, and that's where you run the risk of kind of taking yourself out of the game and, and not being close to God anymore. I'm not saying you're going to hell for that, because again, if you're saved in him, I believe there's a security there, but it is a call to not get lazy in our lives, this idea of outward moral behavior that Christians need to see. And again, I know some of you don't like talking like this. You're like going, well, you're talking about being more holier than thou. No, I'm not. That's an attitude. I hate Christians like that. Well, I mean, I love them, but I don't like being around Christians like that, <laughs> right? Because, I mean, they're what Mark Twain calls good in the worst sort of way, right? Those Christians that are more holier than thou, 
They have an attitude about their holiness that kind of lords it over you. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about becoming a better, more righteous person. Look at Philippians 1.11. It uses the same word here. It says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, that's what we're talking about here. Is you finally becoming more and more the man or woman that God wants you to be. So you got increasing spiritual thirst. You got outward moral behaviors and righteousness. And then notice a third bucket that following this idea of fruit through the New Testament teaches us internal relational traits. And let me just comment before I show you the passage here. <laughs> One of the things that really does bother me too about Christians is that many of us get satisfied with outward behavioral change and we fail to realize that becoming more like Jesus also has to do with how we treat those around us. Right, Kathy? It has everything to do with that. In other words, I know many Christians that have cleaned up their outside. They're like a shiny new penny. They look so good. And yet when I am with them, they are nasty and judgmental and unkind. I know it's hard to picture Christians like that, but just go with me on that. They just are not nice to be around. And I know too many Christians like that. Could it be that this is why God says part of fruit bearing is internal relational traits that others feel and experience from us. Look at James 3.17. This is amazing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good, say the word one last time with me, fruits. There it is. Unwavering without hypocrisy. See, I write about this in my my book that's coming out this summer, Shameless Product Placement, right there. I, uh, I write about this verse because I love this verse so much. And one of the things that hit me about this verse years ago is that these are all relational traits being outlined here. You can't be peaceable without other people around because who are you peaceable with? <laughs> you can't be gentle, reasonable, and full of mercy. You can't display these good fruits without relationships around you. These are all relational traits being talked about here. And so part of fruit bearing is that when others are with you, they feel Jesus from you. And again, this should be good news to some of you because some of you are a wreck on the outside. Some of you are struggling with your behaviors. And I get it. I mean, we're gonna talk about patience here in a minute with fruit bearing. Uh, but even if you're struggling on the outside, if God has made you more loving, more kind, if he has made you a better person to be around, guess what? That's fruit, and that counts. And, and so add it all up. Let's go back to the three here. Uh, the simple question I want you to ask, because this is really the sum of what we're talking about here today, is do I or do I not see these things in my life? And again, ask your wife or your husband, your kids, do they see any of these things in your life? And to the degree that you do, it acts as a strong confirmation to your faith that you are his. And this is the leading edge of how others are going to know that you are his. We got about five minutes left, and I promised you a video. This is actually going to be really meaningful. A guy walked into my office a few years ago that had made an appointment, patiently waited, and told me his story, and it was an amazing story. He, 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 his name's Sam, he and his wife Janet had tremendous guts in making Scottsdale Bible Church their home. You'll hear why in a minute. And they have an incredible fruit-bearing ministry. 
that God has brought from this marketplace guy. He's in the marketplace as he's now been serving here at Scottsdale Bible Church. And as you hear Sam's story, just ask yourself, do you sense any thirst? Do you see any outward behaviors in him like social justice issues that just might be of God? And and what do you sense about this guy relationally? Does it feel like he's been with Jesus? See if there's any fruit in this guy because I love what he and his wife are doing and it's gonna be a joy to share their story with you now. So look up here on the screen. My name's Sam. I've been married to Janet now for, it'll be 22 years this July. I believe God has called me to play a role in helping to racially unify the church. Sam and I grew up under the same denomination. We grew up in church was everything. Church was our life. In the previous church before we came here, I was uh, ordained as a minister, an elder in the church, uh, active in teaching ministries and doing uh, several things. We moved to Scottsdale about uh, six or seven years ago. And one of the reasons uh, that we moved this direction was for our son, Samuel. At the age of about two years old, he was diagnosed with autism. And uh, it was pretty tough for us to find the services that we need where we were living. And as time progressed, we found ourselves somehow over at Scottsdale Bible Church at SBC. Our former church was a predominantly black church. Uh, and we were there for a little over 20 years before we uh, transitioned to where we are now. And, and uh, a whole lot of that really had to do with where we saw God leading us and the role he had for us to play. Most of the things that have uh, happened, especially in the areas of race, have, have affected us as a family. We've experienced a lot of it. Uh, it's troubling sometimes when uh, there are those who claim to be our friend who don't believe that it's real, don't believe that it happens, uh, but it does. It's tough when it can be ignored and, and not even acknowledged uh, as real. There were several things that were happening nationally uh, in the news. And so I had gotten pretty frustrated and uh, prayed about it. My wife, uh, I took her advice. She said, you know, you need to send Pastor Jamie an email. Just tell them what you're thinking. Within a few weeks, we had a chance to actually sit down and talk. I shared with him what was on my heart, and uh, he was really glad to hear it. And one of the things that uh, Scottsdale Bible encourages is, hey, if you see that there is a need somewhere, then something can be done about it. You know, get going on it, do it. So uh, that's what I did. to start and God did a great work in that and it's actually spun off into some other small groups and other things that people are doing in the church as a result. I think if we are going to start having a real honest and open dialogue and really start breaking down those barriers we got to be able to ask the question and people not be so offended or feel afraid. We're just brothers and sisters from other mothers and fathers, but we're brothers and sisters in Jesus. I believe that when the church comes together, God will be glorified. The church can be a place where anybody of any race, of any nationality, you can come here and still feel love. You can come here and still be accepted, because that's what Jesus did. 
when I'm old and gray, rocking in a chair somewhere, I'd like to know that there are multiple generations of people who are worshiping together, of various cultures, styles of worship. It just reminds me of what uh, heaven could be like. I'd like to be able to see uh, the church be a, a reflection of what heaven is truly going to be like. It may not happen in my lifetime, but I'd really be working hard to make sure I do my part to see that happen. I, 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 when Sam walked out of my office a couple of years ago when we met there, I'm telling you, I, I didn't put this message together. Three things I loved about the brother, and that's that he has an incredible thirst for the kingdom of God. He wants to see the church be all she can be. He wants to see the church become more multicultural and multifaceted. See, Sam understands something a lot of white people don't, and that's that heaven is not going to be white and English won't be the language there. Give me a head nod. You all understand that. And so Sam's argument is, is why don't we start preparing now for what heaven's going to be like? And, and, and I love that vision. Many of you love that vision. And so he said, let's make this our church home and help this predominantly white, upper-middle-class church learn what heaven's going to be about. He's thirsty, and I like that. The second thing about Sam, obviously, is he's got a social justice edge to his life, and I love that. He wants to see races reconcile. He wants to see us understand what's happening in Ferguson and, and places across the nation and to understand the complexities of it and the difficulties of it from all the different angles. And Sam's a guy that can help us with that. And then third, I know you sense this. Don't you love the guy's gentleness? I mean, he's not here to beat a drum. He's not here to smack us over the heads. You know, he's here to relationally help us as a church. And I love his heart to, to, to get on board with what God wants to do in our community and in and through us as a church. There's fruit in he and Janet's life. That's all I want you to see. And if anything stirred in you by what he said here, I just let you know, again, shameless product placement, he's going to start a class up again in the fall. And I'd love to see him get out of our conference room, which holds about 20, and get into one of our bigger rooms with a lot of you saying, yeah, let's talk and let's learn and let's grow and see what we can do together as the church in this cause. And so again, I just be encouraged that as you take steps, risky steps like Sam and Janet did, God's going to use you and you're going to bear fruit. I see it in this couple's life, and it can be true. It probably is true for many of you. Now, last word, and this will be done. Uh, Take-home thought. Balance patience with resolve. Here's the deal. Um, I am told, I don't know this for a fact, I'm told that if you went out and tried to plant a uh, vineyard today, that it would take about four years until the first grape worthy of a bottle of wine would be produced. Four years. And Jesus is giving an example here of vines and branches. I'm told that after that first grape appears, it's another three years till you have your first good bottle of wine. So seven years it takes for a vineyard to start producing the kind of fruit that could ever be labeled a bottle of wine. I think that as Jesus talks about branches and vine, that says something to us. I don't want any of you to be discouraged here today. Fruit bearing is a lifelong activity that takes patience as you trust in him, get close to him, and watch him do his work through you. But it also takes resolve because too many Christians get impatient, they get out of the ring, they give up, what have you, and you guys are better than that. Cactus, chapel, and venue, you're better than that. 
Practice patience with resolve. Stay close to him. He is good for the fruit that he wants to bear in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word from Jesus today. Thank you that we can have confidence that as we stay connected with you, as we look to you, as we trust you, as we allow you to prune and clip our lives, even discipline us, God, as we saw last week, you will bear fruit in us. And so, Lord, help us to be wide-eyed Christians who aren't afraid to audit our lives and look for that thirst and that outward behavior and that inward relationality that might be defining how close or not close we are to you. And God, encourage us, challenge us, prepare us for the days ahead individually and as a church. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.